Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another spectacular episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, as I always am, joined by Shaheen Khan, Henry Newman, and Jesse Lanham. How y'all doing? Yeah, excellent, Dano. Doing okay? Yeah. I like it how these episodes have gone from scintillating to spectacular. I thought I needed a different word. I think we did. He just has the sores open. Yeah. I think you should use another word that doesn't begin with an F. Bring the word festooned back. You are yeah. a fan of that word. Something I'm a fan of festoon. Scrabble word score business. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll do some research on that. Enriching our listeners' vocabulary. Yes, that would be good. Today, we're going to be looking in the rearview mirror and talking about what we saw at the State Fair for Nerds, which was SC19. With giant pumpkins and big hogs. And the butter sculpture, of pies. course. <laughs> and pies. Always pie. Yeah, baking competition. Do you, have, do you have butter sculptures at your state fair? Because we have them in Minnesota. I know. Minnesota. I was using that to make fun of Minnesota. We don't do that out here. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, we don't. Uh, we don't go down that road out here. Although it's just, uh, <laughs> just, it's very appealing. But no. So, what did we see at SC19? Who wants to go first? Well, I'll go first. Dano, I know you've been very fond of the European Processor Initiative and what they're all doing with their indigenous supercomputers. So I had a really interesting conversation with Barcelona Supercomputer Center, and I came away really quite impressed with their just command of all the various angles of supercomputing, everything from the use of HPC in the commercial world to the geopolitical landscape and technology landscape and culminating with their open approach and it is true that they are really championing the cause of open systems, open CPUs, the whole uh, work that they're doing with ATOS and the accelerators on top of ARM, but also the work that they're doing with RISC-V. So really, really good stuff. I'll have a couple of links and something to definitely track. Yeah, they do know their stuff over there. Highly impressed with Barcelona. And Dan, remember my bet on RISC-V for next year? That's right. The bet. Yeah. Yeah, that it will be on the top 500 list. Mm-hmm. There will be a risk, a, a machine with risk five in it on the top 500 list. To be clear about our bet, good, good job trying to change it already, Dan. So good by job. the November list, there will be a risk five system. You know, your bet already is recorded in like an episode. A couple of it is. Are you, are you trying to change it or are you trying to recreate I'm it? I'm not. I'm I'm comfortable with it. All right. Okay. Good. We're just going to have to pull up all the old recordings and sync them all together and have a clip of just every single version of this bet. Yeah, no, it's it's solid now. It's stable. We both agree okay. on it. All right. Well, did you decide uh, what the winner gets? Dinner of their choice. The usual right. steaks. The usual stuff. Okay. Yeah, usual. I p- Though I picked the restaurant because I don't trust Dan. Well, the last time you guys had a bet, you picked the restaurant, you kind of settled, and then I paid. <laughs> 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 It was, it, was, it was one of my best moves ever, Shane. Well, we blame the waiter. All, all I know is it's possible to have a ribeye as an appetizer, <laughs> followed by a ribeye as an entree. 
Ribeye for dirt. All yes. of the menu. <laughs> it all worked. Well, so, speaking of quantum computing, <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, I had national hot dog eating champion Joey Chestnut coaching me. That's right. For and like that was weeks. Very for like weeks oh, yeah, before. Months, months. He gave me a whole training regime. But anyway, we're wandering off the topic. That also was chronicled in one of these episodes. <laughs> yes, it was. And it paid off. It so paid quantum off. computing. I, uh, I also attended an annual briefing that D-Wave does for quantum computing, and that was really quite well done. Uh, Rene Copeland and, and his team were there and did a fabulous job. I also had a brief meeting with Cold Quanta, another quantum computing company, and I also was very impressed with their strategy, their go-to-market, and their technology. Very good. Very good. Jesse, how about you? Well, so one of the things I thought was interesting, and I just wanted to hear other people's takes on this, was did either, like anybody here, go to the keynote with Dr. Stephen Squires? No. No? Okay, so that was the... The point where, first off, it was a fabulous talk. He's an excellent public speaker, and it was super interesting. However, one of the folks afterwards gets up and asks the question and is saying, you know, hey, all the stuff you're talking about using with Mars rovers, Opportunity Curiosity is fascinating. Where did you use HPC systems? Ooh. And the answer was, we kind of didn't. Not at all? <laughs> yeah. So his comment was the problem sets that they were working on and that sort of stuff were small enough that they didn't necessarily need to be using high levels of compute. Hmm. But he was the keynote speaker. And so I thought that was an interesting thing. And I've been talking to different people about whether or not they thought that this was a good move or not a good move. And I've been getting mixed reactions. So I sort of wanted to see what other people thought. Well, it's not necessarily unusual. Okay, because I've only been to these things twice. Yeah, they had Al Gore here in Portland, for instance, and he's <laughs> not a, really, really an HPC user. Okay. It's whoever they can get is the best, they believe, name, I think. That's what I think. What do you guys think? They usually get someone who has an interest in science, STEM, technology in some capacity. The very first keynote for this conference was Seymour Cray. That's how they got started. But then mm -hmm. since then, they've had really a variety of people, some of whom have had, let's say, more visible contact with super company, like Squires did, by the way, because oh, if yeah. I'm right, I mean, he ran major parts of government funding activities that fuel supercomputing in a big way. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So definitely he's got the, more than the creds to do it. Uh, but they also had the Alan Alda a couple of years ago. That's right because of all the work that he was doing in science and technology and contributing to society in some good way. I got to tell you, when they announced Bill Nye, the science guy, it's the last <laughs> time I'm going to supercomputing. No, no, no. That would be great. Didn't, didn't they have Bill Gates one time? They did. Was this they yes. did. Had so, Michael I mean, Bell once, too. They yeah. did. So when they come in town, they usually can get the local celebrity. Okay, because I thought that the talk was fascinating just because I'm really interested in space. But I was wondering, is this normal for SC? Is this not, again, somebody with only two SCs under their belt going, what's the uh, the format for this? So that's yeah. what you know. It's normal enough. Uh, Henry, you were saying something? No. thought you were going to comment on Bill Gates. Did he do, I don't remember seeing him. Did he do a good job? He did do a good job, but it was more about concepts rather than usage. And I think one of the things that supercomputing should be talking about is long-term vision and encouraging people, especially you know younger people, to get involved in going to, into scientific and other related fields. So mm -hmm. I think 
it should be a broad variety of people. And as Shane said, sometimes they try to get big names. Sometimes it's very specific. My understanding is there's a group of people on the committee that kind of throw names in a hat and then go see if they can get them. It'll be interesting to see who we get in Atlanta. Anything else that pops into your mind, Jesse, about uh, SC19? Not particularly. I think it was interesting to be running around as a student volunteer and Mm -hmm. having that perspective of I'm dealing with all of these attendees and even the exhibitors and, and speakers at a different level of more of like, can I set up your microphone pack for you? Nice and, job. And I enjoyed being able to do that and sort of seeing SC from um, not like the underbelly, but with the setup side. And that but was a really behind the stage, yeah. Backstage. And the amount of work and the amount of people that it takes to, to run yeah. that conference, which we all know in our head, it's massive. But to be part of facilitating that, you really get a better understanding. That's very cool. It's a good experience to have. Resume building, character building. <laughs> character all good. building, yes. Yes. Uh, one of the things that I think Henry will want to comment on is uh, NVIDIA. Dan, don't speak for me. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Henry may or may not want to comment on that. I just, I love the, the random hostility that comes out of you, Henry, that just sort of oozes out of you. Wow. ARM and a host of others, along with NVIDIA, have announced their GPU accelerated, what do you want to call it, reference architecture for GPUs with ARM processors. And there's a whole slate of folks on this, including Fujitsu, Cray, HPE, Marvel, uh, plus a bunch of others, including some customers that have signed up to help test this thing. And so far, it's looking really good. And... I think we're going to see a whole slate of new big systems come out of this. I do. And I think they're going to be different processing cores for different things. Yep. Uh, you know, TensorFlow processors, all kinds of stuff in this thing. Yeah. And uh, Fujitsu, I would believe, is probably contributing their ARM chip, which is very fancy. Know. Well, they're part of it and they're part of the reference platform. So I don't know either, but uh, I believe they're going to monetize that that processor as well. So that's very sporty. And in more NVIDIA news, they now have big, fat GPU-driven cloud box with many tensor cores and uh, V100s in general up in the cloud, in Microsoft Azure Cloud, which now makes them more competitive with Amazon. They both now have eight GPU cloud systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft also cut a deal with GraphCore to have a zone that includes their chip. They also have the FPGA like some of the other ones do. Mm-hmm. I kind of like what Microsoft is doing with their cloud and having all these different technologies available. I think some system vendors are doing that too Yeah, with uh, some level of heterogeneity in their systems. And they're using Ethernet, or excuse me, sorry, InfiniBand. Mm-hmm. To interconnect, yeah, which, which is, is a good different move. than, which is different than Ethernet. Dan. Exactly, <laughs> which is why Henry, I corrected myself in midstream. Good job. Almost in real Thank time. You. Almost in real time. Yeah, I know. I know. Dano runs error correcting code all the time. I do. <laughs> I do. In fact, most of the characters I type are backspaces. <laughs> um, Even when he's talking. Even when I'm talking, I can rewind very quickly and uh, get the right words out. Not necessarily in the right order, but the right words. So it sounds like we all had a pretty good SC19. 
not a lot of huge news coming out of this one. Well, really, the top 500 sets the tone in many ways. Yeah. And big announcements. And there was a big Cray arm Fujitsu announcement that was significant. That's what I just talked about, wasn't it? Or another one? I thought you were talking about the GPU. Yeah, the reference architecture for ARM. What was the other announcement? Which one are you referring to? Uh, Cray signed up to sell Fujitsu's ARM. Ah, that's Uh, cool because Fujitsu is not a sales powerhouse outside of certain districts in Japan. And Germany because of Siemens, some parts of Australia, some parts of Asia. At one point, some parts of the UK. Right. That's Well, that was yeah. ICL. I mean, all the companies, they bought the... So very good. Moving along, I guess the thing to ask is if Henry has a reason why no one should ever be online ever. Well, it's actually a reason why no one should ever go to a local doctor ever. Yeah. Um, oh. Or dentist in this case. <laughs> Expanding the scope of this <laughs> podcast. You know, here here's the problem. Just because do nothing. Of the election, the ele- <laughs> stay at home. Don't shovel your snow, and ne- never leave your basement. Um, yes. There was an article on Krebs about a small business that basically, well, what they do is they take data from your local dentist or lots of local dentists throughout the state of Colorado and other states, and they archive it for the dentist. So that the dentist is offline. The only internet connection the dentist has is to this place. And that way they can maintain and HIPAA, because the HIPAA regulations are are non-trivial. You have to do things like encryption at rest and use FIPS encryption and all kinds of other stuff. But this small little company got a ransomware and all these dentists now around Colorado and surrounding states can't get their data. I got to thinking about this and I had a physician in Minnesota I had from when I moved here in 1990 until last year. And he basically retired from being a family doctor. He was a one-man shop because of digitizing medical records and the requirements well, one of the reasons, the requirements to keep them, there were other reasons he retired from that, but he still does FAA pilots. So he's still working, but he's not working with personal family practice patients anymore. And it, it dawned on me that small businesses that have regulations, such as HIPAA regulations, that outsource it to larger companies that supposedly know what they're doing, are putting everybody, all these small businesses at risk and long-term it's going to be a bigger and bigger issue. Yeah, so, it's going to drive them out of business. It's going to drive them out of business. So, and, and their fines are draconian for HIPAA. Oh, yeah. So that's why maybe you should never leave your house and never go to a doctor or never, never do anything. That's why, like Kramer, I just go to veterinarians. <laughs> <laughs> no one's attacking them yet. <laughs> and there's no regulations they're required to follow. Exactly. And they have to know all the animals. So there oh, you go. But, but, but Dan, Dan, you you just gave food for fun. The, the, the hacker's going after high-end veterinarians. And so the Fifi will not know, you know, they won't have the records for Fifi when they go. Mm. What about those really, like, important show dogs where people are making, like, yeah. boo-hoo bucks on them? Yeah. yeah. I, really. I think they're at risk. We've just created like the next Ocean's Eleven type of movie for people yes. right here. 
Yeah, the plot just writes itself. It does. <laughs> sea Biscuit meets Ocean's Eleven. Yes. Hear me out. Well, you know, speaking of features, Jesse, do you have another installment of things you think you know but maybe don't? Yes, sir, I do. So this week, we're covering topics that you always wanted to ask about but really prefer somebody mm-hmm. else did. So this week, we have Interconnect. It's a defining piece of architecture for supercomputers, but how does it work? Why do we need it? And do I have any choices other than InfiniBand? Well, you gotta have something to connect those nodes together. Not wireless, right? So the interconnect is what connects nodes together. And you've got basically two choices. Well, you guys are gonna probably scream at me about this. Basically, (laughs) your broad choices are InfiniBand and Ethernet. Dan, now, I'm shocked that you didn't your... think Token Ring was still available. You know, Token Ring is still available. When I first signed on at a particular company that was very big and big on Token Ring, the guy hands me the thing and I go, what the hell is this? He goes, well, dude, that's your Token Ring connection. I said, I've never seen one of these before in my life. That goes into the wall somehow? <laughs> yeah. The right, oh. the right wall. Yeah, it's got to be a wall within their facilities, as it turns out, because no one else used it. I said, mm-hmm. there's got to be an Ethernet adapter to this. Well, <laughs> guess so, mm-hmm. but I don't know why you'd want to use that, because it's Token Ring. And that was the first and last time I saw Token Ring. But what else do we have? There's nothing else really out there No, there is a lot, actually. Today. Well, they're, but they're, it's being used. They're proprietary interconnects. Gray has one. Yes. Oh, that, no, they're all, they're all proprietary at this point. IBM has them, and V-Link is proprietary. So there's there are proprietary interconnects on top of that, and then you you need to talk about software stacks such as you know Rocky Two and things like that, which do cut throughs and reduce the latency. Because the whole issue of interconnects is getting the information to the other side as quickly as possible, so that the next job on that other node is not sitting there waiting for data or information or a decision. But also making sure it gets there. Yeah, making sure it gets there. And it doesn't get, and it, it's not corrupted. Yes. So there's a whole lot that goes on with these interconnects, mm-hmm. Jesse. So I'm going to now give you the definitive answer. <laughs> <laughs> He's been no, I'm just watching. I'm, I'm observing. He's laying back. Yeah. He's going to sandbag it. Go <laughs> so ahead. Think about it like this you've got CPUs, you've got memory, you've got IO, you've got all these resources in a computer that you're trying to harness towards solving a problem. Uh, the glue you use to connect these things together is the interconnect. Yes. And interconnects are a hierarchy of interconnects. The CPU has to connect to its surroundings. In the old days, the surroundings would be a math core processor, a cache, and piece of memory, blah, blah, blah. Today, a lot of it is really on chip, and they got sort of systems on a chip, the SOC stuff. But nevertheless, regardless of how you package it, they need to be connected. So there's glue on the chip itself, there's glue around the chip, and as you go out from the chip to the whole cluster, you get multi-core, multi-chip, multi-computer, multi-cluster, all of these spell MC, by the way. And as you go out, the scope of the interconnect increases. So there are three attributes for an interconnect that you want to keep track of. One is, of course, coherency. Can you communicate while keeping the data coherent among multiple pieces that touch it? The second one is bandwidth, and the third one is latency. In practice, bandwidth is easy because you just replicate lanes. Latency is hard. Coherency is really hard. If you've got coherence, then you've got symmetric multiprocessing or some variations of that. And if you don't, you've got 
message passing, massively parallel cluster. Which is the vast majority of what we which have is the today. Vast, well, except on the node itself. So mm-hmm. the interconnects on the node themselves are really quite, quite amazingly fast and good and coherent. But when you venture outside of the board and you're trying to connect them, then you got PCIe. So there are some PCIe switches that are coming on the market. GigaIO is one of them. Or you can have InfiniBand, or you can have Ethernet, or you can have things like Craze, Shasta, or Ares, or whatnot. So there's a whole family of them over there. And some have more of an industry backing than others. Ethernet and InfiniBand are pretty mature. So you've got drivers, and you've got people who know what they're doing, and you've got well-established everything. Uh, so they're a little bit ahead, but mm-hmm. then there's a trade-off. All right, and I'd like to add to what uh, Shane said, about, and I agree with everything you said, and coherency is really hard and at scale becomes very expensive too. And do you, do, okay. Jesse, do you understand the difference between symmetric multiprocessing system and a massively parallel system? No, Well, real quick, your, back in the day, multiprocessor systems were symmetric multiprocessing. And it's just like they have one instance of the operating system and they share all of the memory. Everybody shares and shares alike on the memory. Although it may be NUMA, which is non-uniform memory access, there's one instance of the operating mm-hmm. system over all the processors, and they share everything. MPP is multiple systems, each running their own operating system, that are interconnected through an interconnect. More latency, not as high a performance, but it's much less expensive to build these systems. And more scalable. And more scalable, Yes. Okay. So basically, shared memory symmetric multiprocessing is like you've got a whiteboard in a classroom and everybody's looking at the same whiteboard. You write it, everybody sees it instantly. But then there are only so many people who can mm-hmm. stuff in the classroom. The message passing is everybody's handing notes to each other in or outside of the classroom. So anybody can talk to anybody, but then it, you know, not everybody sees everything, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. That's a good analogy. I like that one. So good stuff. Have we answered your question about the interconnect? I have one more question. So for somebody who is new to HPC, looking back in history, how did we come to the point where I am only hearing about InfiniBand and Ethernet? InfiniBand has typically been the fastest at getting out higher speeds and lower latencies. They're ahead typically, I would say, six months to a year. They've done very good job of executing on their roadmap. So like when we made the jump from 100... Um, I mean, Mellanox has. Well, yeah, Mellanox. They're synonymous with InfiniBand these days. But when we made the jump from 50 gigabits per second to 100, and then 100 to 200, it was InfiniBand that was in the lead. Mm-hmm. Okay. InfiniBand has a long history. We actually, if I'm not mistaken, we had an episode where we went down the history of it. It started out as a next generation IO, NGIO. It had a whole lot of industry backing. And in like then 97. It, in that time frame, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's really when it was starting to. But fast forward to today, Mellanox basically won that whole game. Yeah. They have executed extremely well. We've always been really fan of their ability to do a very good job and, and have built this community. And of course, they have also the InfiniBand Association that covers it. Yeah, InfiniBand Trade Association. Exactly, what, yeah. What, one quick thing I'd like to get into is that there's a difference in how things are processed between Ethernet and InfiniBand. InfiniBand uses something called an offload architecture. Whenever you're making any network transaction, you're sending out a message, there's all these things that have to happen that take up computational cycles. With InfiniBand, the Mellanox InfiniBand, they offload that from the CPU 
to their ASIC on their network card. So that takes a lot of load off the CPU. And this network stuff can take up as much as 20 or 30% of the cycles of a CPU just to do a lot of these network things. Now, Ethernet uses the CPU to do that. They've got a dumb nick. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Excellent. Well, if you hear that sound in the background, it's not your imagination. That's a fishing boat chugging up into the harbor to bring us our catch of the week. And uh, Shaheen, what do you got? Well, I have a, a really cool story. It is a story that actually came out in 2016, but I didn't hear about it until like two days ago when a news article covered it. So in other uh, words, it's news to us. It was totally news to me and apparently to many others because this, you know, the news came out, uh, you, you know, you all, of course, know that the users group for the IBM mainframes is called Share. Sure. Uh, so in the 2016 edition of Share, there's a young man, a Connor Kirkowski, who has been into computers. I think he got his first computer as he was like 18 months old. And he's a very good speaker. He bought a key punch machine for something like $9. From Henry? On eBay or something. <laughs> <laughs> he had to drive like a thousand miles to go get another piece of old computer. But in 2016, when he was 18, he bought a 1,500-pound IBM Z890 mainframe. Oh, wow. From university. And it took two trips to go get it. They just moved into a new house. And he jokingly said, yeah, I think I could use something to heat the basement. I want to applaud his parents because his dad actually helped him get the mainframe to the basement, including, and I'm quoting, who used a rototiller to excavate a larger basement entrance. Oh, wow. I think that's like the dad of the century right there. So he manages to fire this up, and he's running it, complete with a 3270 terminal controller and a 3270 terminal. And I don't know what he did with the operating system. He may have had to cough up some money to license it oh, for some, yeah, for some I'm dollars. Sure, I'm sure that's, still, that's a pretty penny. <laughs> But he, but he spent a total of $350 <laughs> buying and refurbishing it. No, 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 no. He spent cash of that. Driving yes, this does not include OPEX. This is not OPEX. It does not include labor cost. It just includes, yeah, cash out, like 250 <laughs> bucks, buying and refurbishing it. So we applaud the young Connor. I think he's you awesome. Do. Well, I'm going to bet that they had to bring 220 yeah. in there too. Exactly. They need three phase power. <laughs> <laughs> and computationally, you do, well, nothing. We can do several MIPS. Yeah, he has some MIPS. We applaud Connor, and we also we applaud. Oh, totally, totally. And of course, that machine <laughs> is going to run forever. <laughs> so. uh, this is going to give him, he will never have to buy a drink in Poughkeepsie again. I think he's... He tells them that he's Connor. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, rumor uh, was yeah. that he may be working for IBM now, because if I were IBM, I would hire that man. Marketing? I don't care. He's just, you know, with that kind of passion, there's something we can do with him. That's very true. That's very true. Uh, Henry, what's your catch of the week? My catch of the week is I have none. It's going to be minus 14 tonight, and I've got to go shovel snow out. Oh, this. wow. Okay. Uh, for me, well, wait, Jesse, catch of the week. Sorry. Ow. Yeah, ouch. No, uh, so, I, <laughs> so I got one. Uh, I figured since all of our listeners are about to be given an Alexa or a Google Home this season yeah, for Christmas, like Hanukkah, et cetera, 
Yeah, perhaps there's a, maybe a reason to re-gift that little piece of technology. So researchers with SR Labs found that there's a security flaw within both Amazon's Alexa and Google Home devices that allow for installation of what seems to be benign third-party capabilities, like Alexa, what's my horoscope, yeah. that sort of thing, that turn that assistant into one large <laughs> eavesdropping bug. So, yes. So it's sitting there that your mother has given you, recording silently your conversations. The other thing that they found it will do is verbally prompt you for things like your Google password, <laughs> which they don't do. Friendly PSA, your devices should never be asking you in that robotic voice, hey, what's your Google password ever? Oh. So <laughs> there's some cool videos associated with it. We can put the links up on the website and I'll tweet about because watching them play with these things is pretty entertaining to see how they do it and how I would imagine it is. I, I would not have that in the home here. New, <laughs> no. new, 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 new. Now, my brother is bought into it in a big way and they're asking Alexa everything. And I just shake my head and I wish that I had seen some of these videos because I would find some ways to to hack their Alexa just to show them that this is not a benign world out there. You know what? It's your brother. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you're right. I don't care. Um, <laughs> was that the no. message? That's pretty much the message. My brother listening to this tremors. Yeah, just, oh. I don't care. Uh, whatever. Uh, mine is a big cornucopia of horrible. It is the... Biggest tech fails of 2019, and I'm not going to go through a lot of them, but just a few of them here are like WeWork, which was probably the worst tech startup that wasn't tech at all. And somehow the idiot that started this tequila drinking, weed smoking CEO, as they call him, Adam Newman, no relation to our Henry Newman. Uh, <laughs> they were generating a quarterly loss of a 1.25 billion. And basically all they were was a real estate startup with a tech sheath around it. And SoftBank was idiotic to swoop in with their $10 billion. And anybody who invested in this was, well, idiotic as well. Speaking of idiotic, Samsung's Galaxy Fold fiasco, very expensive, 2000 bucks a piece. Turns out you fold it, you break it. Not good. Yeah. Awesome. I thought you're supposed to be able to fold it. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why it's called the fold, but there's a piece of... Yeah, there lies, lies the, lies the problem. Yes. That's what everybody was asking. Motorola has to one now it. that folds. The Razer that folds? Yeah, I'm going to be a little... Yeah, it's like two, like two it grand. It is two grand, but yeah. then, you know, it's, the, it's totally in the category of you have to ask, you can't afford it. Exactly. There were also a couple of VPN <laughs> breaches with TorGuard and NordVPN. Oh, NordVPN too? Uh-huh. Wow. And they kept it very quiet. Very quiet. I'm also going to put, and as they did, Facebook's Libra announcement in the category of tech fail because it is certainly not doing what they hoped it would do. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, here's one you will agree with. A little IoT fail that there were ovens that would automatically these are turn on are, themselves. Yeah. Yeah, 400 yeah. degrees in the middle of the night. Yeah, uh, I did. I did appear about that, and that is a total fail. We should just couple that. Alexa, turn on the oven. But that may not even go. be to code. I think no, ovens, no. they should not be oh, able to. That, they can turn no. themselves off, but no, not on. No, incorrect. You can program your oven today with many of the uh, new ovens. Yes. And you know what? They can set it in a recurring clean cycle and break your oven. I see this as an next hack. Yeah. Uh, well, you can do that on a mechanical oven, too. You can have a delayed bake. 
Like a timer, yeah? Yeah. An oven, maybe, but like a range, I guess you can't. Okay. Yeah, range, probably not. That hopefully will take something physical to do. Some sweet sabotaging of Michelin star restaurants. Oh, yeah. They use gas at Michelin star restaurants, I can tell you Um, for sure. Oh, okay. My bad. I stand corrected. I'm going to finish out with the fake or with the Facebook portal product. And that's essentially Facebook putting stuff in your home. Yay. Smart home device. And what they did to help push this is they faked reviews on Amazon. Oh, no. Wow. Facebook employees doing it. It's not legal in the Amazon world, but it's not criminally illegal, I don't believe. Then Mark Zuckerberg Mm. doubled down with a verbal gaffe that made the portal roll out even more problematic. In February, he said during an onstage session that we, quote, definitely don't want a society where there's a camera in everyone's living room, forgetting (laughs) that Facebook portal is exactly that. (laughs) Well, it's everybody Uh, else's camera. Yes. Yeah. So we'll have this link up here. Very nice. And you can go uh, wallow in the tech fails from 2019. There are a bunch of them. Somehow I think we'll have just as many, if not more, next year this time. I would not be surprised. Exciting times. Good Good times. Henry, you have any other, anything else to add? No, I'm going to go freeze my ass off when it goes. You want to tell everybody a little bit about our logo project? Oh yeah, let's do. The logo. yeah. Yeah. Big changes. Big changes afoot here at Radio Free HPC. We have gotten ourselves a new logo. Because nobody asked for it. Nobody asked for it, no. And I don't think any of you have ever seen the (laughs) old logo, but it was okay. It was done. I did that in Illustrator way back when, but this one has been professionally designed. It is beautiful. It it is lovely. And Shaheen has done some extra design on it. You gave us a selection of like five different color schemes, Shaheen. Are we going with all of those? Because I like them all. I think so. I think we're going to go with all of them. Yeah. Because also remember, everybody's also clamoring for merchandise with said logo on them. That's another upcoming thing. We are going to have Radio Free HPC branded merchandise. Yeah, and we are slaves to fashion, as everybody knows. So we need need all multiple colors. We do. We do. And since there are only 16 of you out there. Everybody has their own color. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we can color code our listeners. That's our new tagline. More colors than listeners. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. We actually had more logo submissions than listeners. So you, could have, you could have each had your own logo. This is true. But stay tuned because we're going to have a lot of exciting news coming up soon. And starting work on our holiday edition, the Magnum Opus that I put out every holiday season. So if anybody out there has something they want to see for the holidays, let me know. On that note... I think we can call this an episode of Radio Free HPC. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank particularly the people that came up to us at SC19 and whoever is stalking us right now. Thank you for the attention. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you again very soon. And there you go. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, The views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.